0: And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's the perfect breakfast preview.
1: welcome to another BritFlix frightfest preview podcast today we're talking Sunchoke please introduce yourself
0: my names Ben Cresseman. I wrote and directed uh, Sunchoke
1: do you want to give us a brief synopsis of Sunchoke please
0: the the story is basically um, you know follows a, a young woman who who after um, uh, a series or you know at least a singular trauma that we're not really uh, privy to as an audience, Um, spends her days in this sort of hermetically sealed environment, a house up in the Hollywood Hills where her days are largely dictated by her live-in caretaker and sort of lifelong nanny, um, whose motives over the course of the film become increasingly, I don't know, let's say dubious. Um, our, Our main character, Janie, when she finally has the opportunity to leave the house for the first time in over a year... Um, finds that the experience of being out in the world is maybe a little more than she can handle. Um, she encounters sort of by chance a young woman with whom she finds some sort of inexplicable connection and a bit of stalking proceeds and, and, you know, it becomes more and more intrusive until, you know, we get to a point where bad things are happening to everyone.
1: Indeed, indeed. Uh, now, do you know, do you know when and where it's showing at Frightfest?
0: Yes, yes I do, it is on the Splice Discovery screen, okay. uh, that's uh, Saturday uh, the 29th at 9pm. Uh, brilliant, brilliant. Now, I've been
1: asking, I started off this question with the very first podcast with a 50-50, what is your horror film in terms of scares to gore ratio? Now, I've learned over 20 so podcasts, that and I knew already, and it was a bit crass of me to be so binary, that obviously a fi- horror films are a bit more nuanced than just simply scares and gore. Um, so I've kind of got like a almost like a five five band thing now. So if if a, if a film was twenty percent drama, twenty percent comedy, twenty percent scares, twenty percent psychological, twenty percent gore, and I think I'm missing off some other elements too, but. If if there was if you if you were to sort of lay it out or put it as a pie chart as to the qualities of your movie, how would you break yours down?
0: Um, well, I think you know we're definitely heavy on on psychological. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of a lot of drama in there too. Um, but you know, I think primarily for me, what what makes the film so scary and so affecting is is the sort of way it puts you inside the the psychological. Mindset of of the main character. Um, that's not to say that we don't have some good gore in there because we definitely do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I, I guess you know, as relative to other horror films, it's probably lighter on the sort of quote unquote scares um, than a lot because again, it does rely pretty heavily on on the psychological on you know creating a, a sort of pervading sense of unease throughout. Yeah. That, that just sort of builds and kind of wraps itself around your throat till, you know, by the end. I mean, the goal was that, you know, it would it would sort of creep up on you and you wouldn't realize it, but by the end you kind of can't breathe because, you know, you've got this, this hand around your throat.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's certainly, uh, I, I, would, I would say, unsettling and jarring is, uh, is two yeah. words that you, you send us towards. <laughs> um, so... With the with this kind of idea, then I mean, before we go into the, the sort of detail, I mean, it's great. I'm speaking to the writer and director um, because I'd love to know where was the what was the seed of this idea.
0: Well, um, it's sort of a tricky one, you know. I mean, this, you know, oftentimes when I when I go to start a script, I have something specific in mind—a a story I want to tell, a character that I want to reveal, a concept that I want to dig into. In this case, um, I kind of just knew that I wanted to make a horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, it was I sort of started with the genre and my way into that, um, just based on my own style and sort of history as far as the work that I make, um, I, I knew that that was going to be a sort of character driven um, horror film. Okay. So once I, you know, from there, I mean, the, the the seed was really Janie. Once I once I figured her out, um, you know, and and figured that not only is she, you know, uh, how, I, how should I put this? Um, you know, not only is she the sort of main character, but she's the filter through which the entire film runs, relative to the way we see it. Um, that it was going to be a subjective experience, um, watching it, you know, kind of learning these things about the film through her. I, I, I started to figure out what the, you know, what the story elements were, you know, um, and, and I guess, you know, what, what really sealed the deal was kind of solidifying the relationship between Janie and the caretaker. But I, again, I think the, the seed was really just, I, I wanted to, to write a, a character-driven horror film that that would reflect, you know, my sort of weirdo sensibilities, um, <laughs> and and yeah, this is this is what I ended up with.
1: And and, and ter- in terms of then scripting that idea, because I think I think one of the things, one of the experiences you get watching this is, is I think at first, I think it'd be fair to say, from an audience point of view, it, it can feel a bit frustrating because you're not giving everything away, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not sure you do that. Even by the end, as it were, I think you're you're making us work for our for our entertainment here, as it were. Um, so, what were the hardest challenges for you to resolve in terms of sort of creating that that story for Janie?
0: It's uh, a great question. I, th- I think you know, for me, um, it was really kind of silencing the editorial voice in my head and just allowing myself to write. Um, you know, I, as you said, the the story unfolds in a kind of. Um, You know, obscure, kind of obtuse manner. Um, it does not give, it does not give you at any point, um, in the film any, you know, any, like any sense of a complete sort of look at what's going on. You, you never have all the information at hand. And as you said, even by the end, there's still, I think, a lot of stuff that's left, um, you know, in some ways to interpretation. And so allowing, allowing myself to kind of let go of my own, Kind of pretenses about what you know, what the story structure needed to be, how the characters were supposed to arc, um, and just allow it to be um, the the weird tale that it that I, I think it needed to be from the start was was really the biggest challenge. Um, you know, past that, it it became about you know striking a, a you know a, a comfortable medium where you know I'm. And presenting a story that, that, you know, is difficult for sure, but still, I mean, it's a film. It's, you know, sort of like the you know, the tree falling in the forest. If nobody sees it, it doesn't exist. And so it was, you know, it's important to to craft this in such a way that, um, you know, obscure as it may appear at times, it's still very definitive in its own way.
1: Oh, no, without a doubt. You, you, you're, you're definitely giving us a character study. It's just a character that... We're going to find you're going to find very hard to relate to. So it's kind of you have to. There's a lot of accepting, isn't there? I suppose in terms of the way you watch the movie.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So when when you when you got to that sort of finished script stage, um, when you've worked these things through and you you were heading for the shoot, what what aspects of what you were going to then get on camera seemed to be the most sort of the most almost insurmountable for you and, and i'm thinking there in terms of the fact that obviously budgets are finite time is finite you know and all that kind of thing you know um and what what breaks did you get or what 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 ideas did you creative ideas did you come up with to get around that
0: well, I mean, I you know I think some there was a, there were a few things on a practical level that were that were a little bit daunting. Um, the gore, for instance, um, mm-hmm. you know all of the all the blood in the film. There's there's some that's augmented digitally, but ultimately it's all practical, right? Um, at its base, and so just the logistics of of how to make that happen, how to make it look the way I wanted it to. I mean, I'd never worked with that kind of stuff before, so you know that was a big unknown. Um, the, we knew the, the, the schedule was going to be tight. We shot the film out in, um, like 16 days, plus another couple for sort of extraneous VFX and pickup stuff. And, you know, that, you know, knowing that you have such a finite period of time to, to get through, um, material that, that really needs, You know, I mean, you kind of need to give it the space on the day that you're shooting to, to take the shape that it needs to. I mean, I was, you know, I mean, you asked about, you know, what breaks did I get? I mean, I was very fortunate in that I, one, had three really incredible actresses and I'm sure we'll get to them later. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you're dealing with, with pros like that, um, you know, I didn't have to, we, 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 there was no, there was, I mean, literally not one point in the, in the shoot where we had to kind of stop in the middle of a scene and kind of reassess, and oh we got to take a different direction into this. I mean, we, the, 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 actresses in the film really understood the script and I had enough time to prepare with them so that we were, you know, we were all on the same page. And also, um, you know, my cinematographer, Matthew Rudenberg is just a genius. And knowing that, I was in, in, in those capable hands, I could focus on the work that I needed to do and, and trust that, you know, the, the shot lists and the, and the sort of stuff that, that Matthew and I had worked out beforehand was taken care of because he knew what he was doing. So, you know, it, it, it allowed me to really just sort of focus on trying to draw out, you know, that sort of ineffable stuff that kind of makes the movie the movie. Um, and, so I was, you know, I was lucky in that regard, and, you know, but I guess, you know, other stuff that was daunting, um, you know, just, I, I, I mean, I guess telling, I mean, I knew that it was going to be a really visual story, and, you know, making sure that those, the the visuals matched, you know, the, the stuff in my head, which, again, I think Matthew uh, Rutenberg did an incredible job of of rendering all that stuff in a way that, I mean, it was—you know—it sounds a bit cliche or something, but uh, you know, it was uh, as, sort of as though he kind of plucked those images right out of my head and kind of knew how to achieve it with the camera. So
1: I was going to say, I mean, I think I think that's definitely a big, a big uh, strength of the movie is is the um, is the cinematographer that you, you've achieved together there. Um, it, it really, it really lends the film, um, mm. and, I know it's, and, and this is going to sound odd coming from a Brit. Um, because we are in Europe, but I don't include us when I say this, um, it has a kind of very European feel. You know, there's, there's a very, there's very, it's very playful and, and, and almost art house in, in the way that you, the sort of images
0: you choose to give us. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, mean, I, I, I think, you know, a lot of my primary influences, you know, at least for this film in particular, you know, are, are coming out of European cinema and sort of classic, sort of both art house and, and and genre cinema I mean you know a couple examples that come to mind um, you know Polanski's repulsion mm-hmm. um, is a big one um, but also like Bergman's persona for instance um, okay. especially relative to you know framing and the sort of portraiture of it all um, you know I, I think you know my, my, my work is really informed by that tradition. Um, so yeah, definitely there's, there's a, there's sort of European vibe to it.
1: But as I was saying to you off, sort of off, um, off mic before we started, one, one I think because of that, for, because of the location and the familiarity with the architecture, that kind of white wall and the geomet- geometrical lines and stuff mm-hmm. is, and, and the pace that you deliver the film at, um, is, it reminded me a lot of, of, um, Todd Haynes is safe from 95
0: yeah I mean like you know that that I think is a really excellent um comparison to draw it's not one that i that that anyone has has made yet but yeah I mean I think there's you know that film in particular has a, is really adept um and and Haynes in general but but certainly in safe has you know this really remarkable ability to to kind of accelerate your unease without ever without anything kind of i don't want to say remarkable but you know there's no like giant moments in that film, you know, and, and yet the entire time the tightness in your chest just keeps building. <laughs> and, you know, that, that was something that I knew from the start was, was really an objective of mine was to, was to affect that kind of, you know, that kind of variety of fear or emotional response. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's important to, to remember that, that fear is an emotional state, you know. Um, Horror is an emotional state, Mm. and it's. I, I think it's easy to get caught up in things that are scary, but not necessarily frightening. And and so I, you know, playing in that space, you know, between the two was was an interesting playground for me.
1: No, I mean, and I think certainly over the sort of last couple of years, we've been doing these podcasts and speaking to such a variety of horror filmmakers, is just the notion of what. What causes trauma in an audience is
0: is not necessarily just a binary thing absolutely yeah I mean it's it's you know it's a kind of complex balance that you need to strike, and you know I mean everybody comes at it differently and I think that's what makes horror so kind of fascinating as a genre is that you know for your film to be a horror film, you know. In, in in a sort of base and kind of crass way, it really only needs to hit you know X Y and Z points, right? And then mm-hmm. you know it'll that's where the you know blockbuster video will put it in the like they don't <laughs> exist anymore, but that's where they that's the shelf they would have put it on. Yeah. Um, but you know within that there's such a range of of you know thematic elements, visual elements, um, you know narrative stuff that you can play with that that allows for for you know filmmakers in the genre to really craft their own thing while you know ultimately it's still I mean it's still a horror film and it's still something that the audiences in that way can connect to, even if there are moments like, you know, in Sunchoke that may be confusing or obtuse that, you know, you're still there because you're locked in that emotional state.
1: Yeah. Well I think I think it's sometimes it's because there's there's a kind of um misunderstanding as to as to what a horror film festival is and i think also if you look at if you look at FrightFest as as its own strap line it actually calls itself the dark Hearts of cinema
0: mm-hmm. as,
1: a, as a way of describing itself which means that's a hell of a broad church isn't it
0: <laughs> definitely well and i and i think that's i mean that's a really that's a really special concept when you're looking at horror films because i mean i think that's you know, that dark heart of cinema, that's sort of where my, my film and my work live a little more than, you know, maybe strictly speaking horror films, mm. you know, because I, I, I mean, I would like to think that, you know, this is a film that, that really splashes around in some, in some different puddles, so to speak. And, um, you know, so that, that notion of a, you know, a sort of dark heart of of cinema, you know, that's, that's where i've kind of always wanted to live um and with sunchoke it was the first opportunity that i've had in my work to sort of realize that in a more full and complete way um i've i've you know I, I'm part of that is is actually having the opportunity to make the film as opposed to just writing it um but <laughs> also you know like i was saying earlier you know the, the the process of kind of turning off the editorial voice in your head and saying okay you don't need to worry about are you hitting this point, that point, or that point? I mean, you're, am I in that dark heart? Am I staying in that dark heart? And that, I think, is, you know, ultimately, if, you know, if, if there was, you know, one thing that I, I, I think I was able to do successfully, um, and I'd like to think there's more than one, but, um, in, you know, I, I think staying close to that, that kind of emotional space was, was really, um, one of the, the most important aspects of the film for me.
1: Now, you've, you've already hinted on this, the, the casting, you've got three sort of, fe- certainly got two key female actors in your movie, and a third who gets drawn into the story, as it were. Um, and one of those is a very recognisable face to, to the genre audience, uh, Barbara Crampton. And I don't know if you know, yours is one of four films that she features in.
0: I, I do, yeah. No, she's really the, the queen of the festival this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, uh, since sort of, I mean, I know it was it, the film's older, but it but you next played in 2013. Mm-hmm. And it feels like we've been on a kind of, there's like a, a Barbara, a Barbara Crampton renaissance coming up um, in terms of the, in terms of the genre. Cause she's obviously playing much more kind of understated, obviously less screamy roles than, yeah. than, than she's, than she's yeah. that was,
0: you know, that was one of her first um, remarks, you know, when we, when we, when we got to set was just like, this is, you know, I think she said something along the lines, you know, this is the first film I, I'll, I'll ever be in that I, I'm not going to scream once. And, you know, but that was, I mean, that was a really great moment for me. It was, you know, this is, I, it was a really excellent opportunity to get a really talented and sort of, you know, a really talented actress who's known by so many in, in such a specific way. Yeah. Um, and to, to put her in a role that, you know, people really have, have not seen before anything like it. Um, you know, it's, that was a really exciting opportunity. I mean, the three, the three actresses, I mean, like I said earlier, I was really fortunate to get, um, you know, get to work with, you know, these, these artists who, one, were totally professional and prepared and, 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 you know, ready and, and accessing their, you know, their deepest, darkest places for the film at any moment. I mean, you know, there was, there was no need to kind of ramp up to any scenes. It's like as soon as we were ready to go, they were all ready to go. And so having that as a director is a huge asset, um, in especially when you're dealing with kind of difficult material, um, because you know that at least that is covered. There, Nobody's going to flub their lines. Everybody's going to bring the, the necessary gravitas to a scene. Um, but, you know, in the case of Barbara, for instance, yeah. um, we... You know I mean when we started casting the film that was two thousand and sort of fall of two thousand and thirteen um, and your next had just come out that summer yeah um and so when when we first sort of got in touch with Barbara you know that yeah that sort of renaissance that you were talking about was just starting mm. and you know I was when when she when she agreed to do the film it was you know we had um we, you know, we it was sort of an extended courtship with with her, you know, and we want. I mean, I think everybody wanted to make sure that, you know, I mean, with indie movies, you know, want to you want to make sure it's actually happening, nothing's going to fall through, and things like that. But, um, you know, when when it was sort of made official, um, she and I had a conversation, and it was just she she, in addition to sort of just digging the script, she understood it in a really personal and kind of fundamental way before I even had to step in and do any explaining. She really got it and so you know she knew what she wanted to bring to the role and it and it really made for for a i mean filmmaking's never an easy experience, but um yeah. an easier experience and then you know with i mean overall i mean the whole i mean we saw um, we we did an open casting process. Um, we saw close to a thousand women for roles. Um, and but there's that there's this thing that happens when you, you know when somebody walks in the room and you know with Sarah Hagen for instance, um, you know she walked in and my first thought was holy shit that's Millie from Freaks and Geeks. I'm a huge <laughs> geeks fan um, and. You know her her whole first read I was stuck in Millie, um, and then once I saw her, in in our film, all of a sudden it was like okay we've you know we've stumbled onto something really remarkable here and and similarly with Sarah Lane or, you know when she when she came in I mean she was the both of them were were really focused and determined in their auditions and and we put them through it I mean we had them come back. Uh, multiple times we have them read for different roles chemistry reads the whole nine yards and every time they just got stronger and so it gets to a certain point where you're just like well there's the decision has kind of been made for you um these these performers have ex, have asserted themselves with the material and and they they become kind of inextricable um and and that was sort of what happened i mean the you know the they they Really, just embodied these these characters, and, and you know, then we were kind of off, off to the races.
1: For for the for the for the non filmmaker listening, when you talk about the um, the chemistry reads, this is bringing people in who aren't contractually co- attached to the film yet. This is just about yep. trying to establish they're yeah. going to be in the movie, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's you know, I mean, you you uh, you know, the audition process from the filmmaking side is is really tricky because you're sitting there behind a table and. You're bringing people, you know, especially in the early auditions, you're bringing people in for a few minutes, one after the other. Your days are packed, and you can see flashes of things. You don't always necessarily see the full picture. You, you want to trust your instincts on, you know, finding, you know, you, you, you feel like you're finding the right people for the material, but then with the chemistry reads, you get them in the same room and that's where, I mean, as a filmmaker, it's really exciting because that's really where you get to see, that's, that's kind of your first scene. You know, that's your first opportunity to see the film in action. And that, um, even in a sort of nascent, kind of inchoate, um, sense, it, you know, you see the, the chemistry between the performers. And, and once you, you know, that that's there, it's, you know, the decision's made.
1: No, totally, totally. Um, what, what, um, what aspect of the of the uh, of the film are you most excited to see with the fright
0: audience? Well, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, that's a tricky one. I mean, you know, for for me, um, you know, watching the watching the film with an audience um, is is a terrifying experience for me in a totally different way than it's ideally terrifying for the audience itself. Um, you know, I. I like to, I mean, it's, you know, sometimes you see these ads that people are doing now for horror films where they have like the, like the night vision camera in the theater, you know, and they have footage of people's reactions. Those are always kind of the most exciting moments for me where you hear the gasps, um, you, you look around and you see people kind of glued to the screen, um, there's no real specific moment in the film that i'm you know i'm looking forward to seeing with this audience but you know every 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 audience that, that i've i've seen it with up to now has had you know there's a slightly different reaction and so i mean i i can only imagine that say the you know the response here in london is going to have a slightly different shape than the response in you know elsewhere and and so that you know that's really exciting um, you know really just to to bring the film um, I mean if nothing else to bring it so far from home you yeah. know what I mean I'm here in London for the first time um, and the reason I'm here is 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 my film and and so that's I mean on a personal level that's really a special thing um, but. You know, creatively and sort of as as the filmmaker, being able to you know, anytime I have the opportunity to share it with an audience and get uh, a, a sort of gauge for what the what the reaction the response is is, I mean, that's always a just a tremendously special thing for me.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Now, just I uh, just rewind a sec. I, I sort of uh, omitted sort of a final question there about about your casting um, with with Sarah Hagen. Um, once once she was cast in the role. And that kind of first few, I guess, first few days on set and stuff. Um, what kind of what what kind of notes were you sharing with her, or was it was was she sort of coming to you with thoughts from the script about what Jenny should be like? Because I feel I feel like Jenny's a fairly a fairly unique character in the sense of because it's it, like you say, subjectively, it's from her point of view almost all the film. Yet. In reality, there's not there's not a clear kind of you know wants and needs of a normal story, is there that's, that's mm-hmm. playing out in front of you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with with you know Sarah, I mean we had a we had a good chance to to really go through the material before we got to set. So you know, Sarah, like Barbara, really, I mean, even before I stepped in with notes or anything like that, she really connected with the character and. And saw what I was going for, and so that created a really easy foundation to work from. Yeah. Um. You know, with I mean, Hagen is amazing. I gotta say. I mean, you know, this this is a, you know, an actress who on set, the cameras aren't rolling. Is you know she's she's. I mean, the first few days, everybody's still feeling each other out. Everybody's kind of you know the group is gelling and and, but, you know, she's you know, she's goofing off, she's hanging out and just being herself on on set. And then as soon as, you know, the sense arises that we're moving towards rolling again, this switch happens. Yeah. And you, you just, you can see it if you're looking at the right moment, but you certainly see it when the cameras start rolling, that she just had a way of inhabiting... Uh, you know, inhabiting the character that, that didn't require a whole lot of infor- I- intervention from me. Um, you know, we discussed, you know, beforehand certain kind of physical characteristics and, and, you know, kind of ways in which she could use her body and her face, um, you know, her expressions and to, to, to kind of tell the story of the character. Um, but ultimately, you know, she really, um, I mean, both, I mean, in the case of, of all, of all three of the actresses, but, you know, Sarah Hagen really, I mean, she elevated Janie, um, you know, far above and beyond anything that I, I think I could have done on my own. Mm. Uh, so, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it was a really, it was a really excellent experience working. I was going to say,
1: I don't think you can pay much higher compliment, can you, really? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's you know, I really can't say enough good things about all three of them. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, one of the a producer um, not involved with the film, but somebody who read the script early on, made a sort of offhand comment, like half joke, half warning, that you know, we were going to have trouble finding somebody to play this role because it was going to, you know, they were going to need extensive therapy afterwards, Um, and. You know, on the one hand, you, you, you kind of love to hear that. On the other hand, it's like, oh, shit, like, is that really going to be a problem? Um, but, you know, these, all three of them in, in difficult, or in different ways, are, are very difficult roles to play. If you don't already subscribe to BritFlix,
1: just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at BritFlix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the
0: website directly so, yeah, I mean, with, you know, with Sarah Hagen, um, she stepped into this role with absolutely zero fear. Um, And she, you know, I mean, a lot of the stuff, I mean, just on a practical level, I know that a lot of the stuff that we did in the film was, you know, that was first time experiences for her Um, and for me, too. And so to, to approach that, that kind of material with that level of bravery is just something that I was consistently impressed by. And, you know, I mean, the same with, with Barbara and, and Sarah Lane, I mean, really, you know, diving, you know, headfirst into, into this material that i you know, could easily be either misinterpreted or, um, you know, kind of glossed over, they all understood the import of what was going on. And, and I think that really allowed them to, to kind of go above and beyond emotionally, um, with their performances.
1: Yeah. Cause I think, I think with Sarah Lane's, uh, character, she, she's having to basically be unaware of the things we know in every, every scene she's in, isn't she? Until, yeah. Until no,
0: absolutely. I mean, she, you know, I mean, she, we, we, we sort of looked at her character, um, as, you know, I mean, really the, I mean, I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of tragedy in, in both Janie's character and, and Irma's character, but Savannah is, I mean, what a bummer, you know, she's driving from here to there one day, she happens to be noticed by this, this person, and as a result, her life is never going to be the same, and she kind of gets dragged into this world that she never you know, she never wanted to be a part of it. And and so, you know, on a on a character level, that requires a really tricky balance of, you know, knowing and not knowing, sort of like you were saying. But also, you know, I mean, from a, a practical standpoint, I mean, once again, some of the stuff, the sort of just the, the sort of physicality of what we were shooting was really intense. And Sarah Lane was, I mean, a trooper throughout. I mean, she was always... The first one to say no. Let's do this the real way. Let's make sure that we, you know, what we're doing here is gonna is really gonna resonate. And, um, you know, I mean, she basically, you know, was willing to kind of walk in front of traffic for us. And and that, you know, I mean, when you get that in in a in a performer, it's really it's really a special kind of commitment. Right. So
1: let's let's remind everybody when can when can they see Sunchoke at Fright Fest.
0: Uh, Sunchoke's going to be screening. Uh, it's the European premiere, um, and that's Saturday, 9 p.m., on the uh, Discovery screen. It's a Splice Discovery screen at The View. Fantastic, fantastic.
1: Now, one last question I'd like to ask everybody, and to bring me back on message with my uh, my Britflix.com uh, remit, is can you tell me your favourite British horror film?
0: Yes, yes, I, I can. I've got a couple, if that's all right. You can um, have as many as you want. <laughs> I, well, I mean, the, the sort of, the, the number one for me really is no question. It's, and it's don't look, uh, don't look now. Um, that for me is, you know, I mean, Nicholas Rogue, it's, it's a much bigger, you know, more sprawling film than Sunchoke, but that kind of subjectivity and, you know, the way it just fucks with your head psychologically Mm -hmm. was, you know, that was really foundational for me. Um, Peeping Tom is another one that I think, you know, it's kind of hard to, I mean, it's kind of hard to talk about horror at all without talking about Peeping Tom, especially psychological horror. Um, you know, people often look at, you know, psycho as a sort of progenitor of that, you know, kind of psychological horror subgenre, but Peeping Tom was what, a year or two before? Of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and just. I mean, just nails it. You know, I mean, it's it's terrifying in a way that, you know, I mean, sometimes you look at older films and, you know, I think that, you know, especially with horror, the, the the bar for what's scary has been nudged in different directions over the years, you know, I mean, sometimes you look at an older horror film and it doesn't scare you in the way maybe you're expecting it to. Yeah. Um. But Peeping Tom scares me in every possible way. <laughs> um, and so that that's a big one. And then also, I mean, just I think part of it, was when it came out and the technology involved. But 28 Days Later um, was a big, you know, was a big one for me. I mean, that came out while I was in college um, studying film. And, you know, there was really at the beginning of the digital kind of wave in feature films and in indie, indie films and seeing something that just kind of visually was so stunning that was shot on, you know, what, was ostensibly a you know home video camera. I mean, not really it was a you know high end at the time three chip digital video camera. But um, to know that oh you know there might there might be a way into this. I mean you know the it sort of it it made it, it sort of clarified that sense of you know the the the, the, the means of production are, are are in your hands. They're they're at your disposal. It's no longer a thing where you have to rent an expensive camera package and go in. You know, tens of hun or hundreds of thousands of dollars in for for just for film stock. Um, you can you can make a film that's terrifying and that looks great on a budget, and that I think was was inspiring for every you know independent filmmaker at the time.
1: No, no, sure, sure, sure. I have to ask, though, how how do you feel about the uh, the, the, the the Don't Look Now remake that's that's in the in the pipeline? Did, did, does that news reach
0: you? Um, I, I've heard a little bit about it. Um, you know, I mean, that's one of those where I mean, <laughs> it's tough. It's like, you know, if that if if that movie's gonna get remade, it's like I wish I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if it absolutely has to be remade, it's like if it's if somebody's gonna fuck it up, like I'd want it to be me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, I mean, I can only hope that 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 you know, the, the people making it will be inspired by the, you know, the spirit of the film and, and deliver audiences, something that, you know, is if not as effective, at least, you know, along those same lines. And, um, you know, but yeah, I mean, that's, if I'm, if I'm just being perfectly honest with you, um, that's one where it's like, well, shit, why didn't that job go to me? And, you know, that's (laughs) I think because nobody knows who I am, but hopefully that'll, that'll change once Sunchoke gets a little further out in the world. Indeed, indeed.
1: Now, one final thing then. Uh, for those people that aren't coming to Fright Fest, is there, is there an official release date at all with Sun Choke yet? Uh,
0: not an official release date, um, but we are uh, We're screening at a number of festivals uh, around Europe and the States. Um, sure. Next up after Fright Fest is the Motel X Festival in Lisbon, Portugal. Okay. Um, we've got uh, the Knoxville Horror Film Festival in Tennessee back in the States. And um, A few more that I'm undoubtedly going to forget. Um, a big one for me is also we, have I'm, I'm from LA and we've got our sort of hometown premiere coming, um, at the, uh, upcoming Spectre Fest, which is put on by the guys at Spectre Vision who are just doing incredible things for, for independent, um, horror. And, you know, we're, we're really excited to, to be involved in that. So, um, so yeah, festivals for now and, and hopefully we'll have some proper release info soon.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, Ben, thank you very much for your time to talk about uh, Suncho.
0: Absolutely, Stuart. Thank you for having me.
1: And uh, have, a, have a great stay in the UK and have a brilliant breakfast.
0: Thank you so much. It's
1: the breakfast. If you don't already subscribe to BritFlix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at BritFlix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you.